Welcome back to Brothers in Song, or should I say, Brothers in Law in Song? Huh? <laughs> That's pretty good. You <laughs> like that one? I like okay, it. good, good. Uh, yeah, because um, we we've got something special going on. We've got a a special guest with us, uh, don't we, Joe? That's right, my friend. So you are my brother by blood, and this is yes. and then with what we have here is my brother from another mother and my legally brother-in-law uh, <laughs> legally <laughs> not illegally no, not illegally hello um, matthew wolf is with us this evening um and it's really is a special episode because we're going to be talking about something i really really love and that is tenors um so matthew was really influential in uh my education of the tenor voice in many, many different ways, but um, especially informing my ex exquisite taste Ex in opera music. Totally exquisite. Yes. So uh, really happy um, for him to be here. And just to get us started, you know, what got you into into opera, well, into the tenor voice? <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I was a high school senior, I guess. I had been singing uh in the choir for the high school chorus or whatever for four years mm -hmm. and uh i wanted to get into singing solos that's what was going on and there was a a guy when i was a freshman i had been uh sort of top of the pack and then there was a guy that moved in and uh he had a really good voice and he started getting all of the solos and i needed to up my game so i started <laughs> singing uh i started doing uh voice lessons with the same guy that this uh friend of mine was studying with and um over the course of about two years i started to really fall in love with um we've been singing classical music for years by that point you know in the chorus but I started falling in love with opera, and um, it's a little bit like, um, it is musical theater, mm -hmm. and the combination of the acting and the storyline with this beautiful form of music really started to, to um, work on my heart, and uh, by, by my senior year, I had decided I wanted to go and study and, and become an opera singer, and uh, that was sort of the, the start to... to uh, Really, to really get into uh, working on uh, my technique, as they say, you yes, got to learn yeah. to spend a lot of time working your technique. Yeah, but uh, no, I it, it's it's funny because I had a similar path, and it's one of those things where when opera's great, it's really great. It's one of the best things in the world. So if you're lucky enough to get bit by the bug, it's uh, it's like a lifetime of exploration and finding new things and um revisiting things that really had an impact on you and that's what we're going to do tonight and not just singing it's it's i know people who can't sing a note right and love this this kind of music yeah, you know yeah yeah absolutely it speaks to your heart you know absolutely so the inspiration for this episode was uh in march of 2021 the, i think the new york times art section was like dying for content because nobody was performing. So they started this series of five minutes to make you love tenors was one of them. And then they have subsequent ones of five minutes to make you love sopranos, sopranos yeah, okay. or orchestra music or what have you. And so, um, so, so we're going to take a detour from our typical format tonight 
And we're going to listen to five of our favorite tenors, Dane. And uh, we, we brought you along on this journey because mm -hmm. we wanted you to, to uh, fall in love with them just as we have done, uh, you know, even if it was many years ago. Um, and we're going to, you know, spend a couple minutes talking about all, you know, some of our favorite singers and some of our favorite pieces. But before we get going, I thought we could do a couple that were maybe maybe we'll do like 30 seconds on some of our honorable mentions. So, uh, Matt. Uh, okay, so the one biggest one I could think of that we're not going to really be going into today is Giuseppe Giacomini. Mm -hmm. um, he's an Italian tenor, just an amazing, gigantic voice, mm -hmm. dramatic, spint, what they call spinto. There's different types of voices. We're probably not going to get too much into that, but it's heavy. It's a heavy voice, mm -hmm. heavy in the middle, and you can almost not believe that he has the agility to be able to do the high notes he does, yeah. and he does. He soars through them. Yeah. I love his voice. Yeah. Um, the second one is um, is Jose Carreras, who is probably one of the ones that most people have heard of before. Um, and when he was a younger singer, he just had the most beautiful clarity, e mm -hmm. easy mm -hmm. voice, mm -hmm. beautiful, you know, totally lyrical, um, pretty, and then he got sick. He uh, he got sick with cancer and uh, had just um, an amazing sort of uh, coming back from that mm -hmm. and going through his life um, by the time they got to start doing the three tenors and everything, which is probably where most people know him. Mm -hmm. um, never quite what it was when he was younger because of, I think, the, the sickness took a toll on him, but... Mm -hmm. But he was one of the first tenors I really took notice of, I think. Yeah, he his his early stuff was pretty unbelievable. Dan, I think that was one of the first ones that we heard in our house too, right? Yeah, our parents had the original three tenors CD. I don't know how they came to obtain had, it or what the <laughs> motivation was. Uh, you know, lots of people bought it, I guess. Um, but I just started listening to it out of curiosity and even though I didn't uh, get into opera you know quite as deeply as as the two of you did um, that recording really made me gain an appreciation for that kind you know for that kind of music um, and Jose Carreras was actually my my favorite uh, of of the three I mean Pavarotti everyone knows Pavarotti and uh, and he's just a, a transcendent talent with a with a beautiful voice. Um, Placido Domingo just wasn't quite my taste, but I liked how Carreras and I didn't know he was past his prime, you know, at, at that point listening to it. But Carreras to me just had like this sort of uh, you know emotional quality and like fragility to his voice that I found really. Um, compelling yeah. to me so um even though i don't know all the ins and outs like like you two do i i definitely have uh you know an appreciation for it and uh i think i think i'll be a cheap date i think i'm gonna fall in love pretty <laughs> pretty quickly with with this with this stuff yeah um, so so i i have two real quick ones if i can, if i may and one is uh is contemporary he's still singing now he's I've seen him live many times at the Met. He's phenomenal. His name is Javier Camarena. 
Uh, he's a Mexican tenor, and he has the uh, notoriety of being one of the very few handful of folks that have been able to do an encore during the Met. Yeah, the Met. that's a big deal. That's a big deal. They don't <laughs> let people do that a lot. And essentially what it is is he sings this big show-stopping aria, and then they everybody thinks it's amazing, and then they go back and they do he it again <laughs> in the middle of the freaking opera. Yeah. And first of all, just like the confidence to be like, you know what? This has nine high C's. I don't really give a shit. I'll sing it again for you guys if you really want <laughs> me to. Unheard. Just unheard. Um, and First off, they hardly ever do high C's at the Met at all anymore. Not a whole lot of people. <laughs> not a whole lot of people I, in that big house, people, man. People, uh, I don't know, this is giving away trade secrets, mm-hmm. but a lot of uh, a lot of those are, an aria is a piece of music with it, like a song within the, the dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, the musical theater. A lot of these pieces with the higher notes, the high C's, they drop down a half step. Yeah. Because uh, the whole orchestration, because it's just a lot of pressure to be under yeah. in a live performance. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So he's great. If you can catch him, you should definitely catch him because uh, he, he's, he's, I think, one of the best singers in the world right now. The other person that I, I just want to have a quick shout out to is um, is Alfredo Kraus. And I knew Kraus. He was popular like 50s, 60s, probably, and I think he did sing even into the 70s, right? Yeah, he was still, yeah. Um, and well, that Hoffman was yeah was pretty late. The one recording we used to listen yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. Um, and he sang a lot of French and Italian repertoire, and I appreciated him. But then, what really got me into him is that my voice teacher, when I did my masters at the Hart School, he his career essentially was being the understudy for Alfredo Kraus because he had like a similar voice, and he would just. Go get paid to be the cover. Get maybe you know a handful of performances of the run, and he sang all throughout Europe doing that. Um, so whenever we were in lessons, he would always evoke uh, his mentor, who was Alfredo Kraus. So that yeah. so that was always pretty cool. Um, so those are you know just some names, some folks that we we like that we you know I don't know, probably have to do a part two of this episode, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but those those are some people that you know will throw some names out and if you feel like exploring more after you hear us wax poetically about our our top five our then, main choices. then 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 the, those would be some some good folks to uh, to check out. So with that, I think we should get into it, right, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I thought a good way to do this because I don't want to say like from best to really great to whatever. So I just put these in order of chronological order based on when the opera was composed okay folks so we're going to start back in the grand year of 1829 with uh the rossini opera guillaume tell um and there's a tenor aria in in i believe it's the third act um asil heretite and it's and, and and i think i think everybody who listens to this podcast knows how to use the google machine so like we're not going to go into like the crazy uh, music history of the synopsis and the plot and et cetera. So we're going to give you like the Cliff Notes version of the summary <laughs> of what's going on. All right. For this one, it's it's really not that complicated. I love my homeland. Friends, let's go kick some Habsburg ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, pretty much it. <laughs> and the the recording that that we listened to together. Uh, was by uh, the Swedish tenor Nikolai Geda. And yeah. my God, it's so exciting. Uh, 
it's really just a high-flying tenor aria. Um, you know, the first part of it is really lyrical, beautiful. Um, yeah. And then we get into the cabaletta, which is the faster part, which is when he says, friends, let's go kick some ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I swear, man, the first time I heard that, I'm like, yeah, let's go kick some ass. <laughs> you know? Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts about that one? Um, yeah, I think... I think I noticed, you know, some of the stuff that you were that you were talking about. Um, it, it is a really just dynamic and inter an interesting piece. You know, um, it's a, the version we had is almost thirteen minutes, but it's always interesting. And I even enjoyed like all the orchestration at at the beginning, where they're just like building tension um, with those ominous chords and this kind of like frantic string section. Um, and he's just so smooth, you know, in, in the beginning with all that lyric stuff that, that you're talking mm -hmm. about. Um, and just floating those those high notes out there um, with such a nice light tone, which I think is sometimes or many times more difficult than just like, you know, hammering one out um, because, mm -hmm. the, you know, the breath control that you need. Uh, to to do that is you know it's, it just takes a lot of practice um and then the the finale is just awesome it's like all the tenor pyrotechnics that you you know that you want um so uh yeah yeah so i i really i really like this one you know i i like this guy's voice um you know i my personal preference is I, I tend to like those tenors that have more of like a like a laser focus to their to their voice instead of like the more kind of like broader sound that feels like it's more like toward the back of the yeah. throat or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so those those are pretty much my thoughts on that one. So that that what you're describing right there, there is a technical term for it. OK. <laughs> Squealo. Squealo. <laughs> Squealo. So, yeah. okay, so define Squealo. It gives you real, it gives it away, right? Yeah. Right, that, yeah. right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matthew, um, I would love to hear what you think. Like, so this is Gaeta, I think, at his best, but like, you know, my gosh, that guy could sing freaking everything. Yeah, Gaeta has an amazing voice. It's my favorite type of voice tenor voice in that it's it's mostly lyric mm -hmm. but he could move a little bit into a, a heavier territory without making it sound too heavy let's mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. um this is an interesting aria because you know confession i'm not the biggest rossini fan mm -hmm. in the world yeah. certainly not for tenor singing mostly those roles for tenors are what are mm -hmm. called gero tenors um, that was the style at the time, frankly, um, first quarter of the first third, really, of the 19th century. They were singing very mixed voice up into the high notes, probably what we would call falsetto today. Mm -hmm. Just out on the stage, they got much smaller orchestras, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you're getting right just out of the Baroque, really. And mm -hmm. they're doing very high falsetto sort of, you know. And that's what Rossini was writing. That's how he wrote this aria yeah. to be sung. That was yeah. the performance practice. And right around 1835-ish, you know, in the 1830s, 
this whole new kind of technique starts coming out of Italy where tenors are singing full voice uh, uh, all the way up through these high notes. Mm-hmm. And it's something that really, I mean, think before this, there's a lot of castrati. These mm-hmm. are, you know, castrated men that are singing um, soprano all the way, you know, right, their voices right. never changed. And every, though you are the stars of the operas, every voice, how you hear it is sort of matched to that. that you want to be able to blend with that to the thing. Mm-hmm. So everybody's doing a different sort of thing. And then suddenly there's this, kind of tenor, more forceful, you know, but also lyrical singing coming through, full voice. And they start to cast in this opera, for this, you know, Mm -hmm. with this opera and this role in mind, they start to cast this kind of singer to do that role around that time. And Rossini hated it, but the crowds loved it. And it changes the whole, uh, changes the whole role. Because once you're singing at full voice, um, you're really almost, you have a, a really two fox fox mm-hmm. in uh, f-a-c-h-s mm-hmm. is a category of voice type right we have different but like i said leggero earlier for the lighter mm-hmm. ones you have lyric then spinto and then dramatic mm-hmm. this jumps from really leggero all the way to spinto but nikolai has got a full command of that lyric you know beautiful um being able to be very expressive all the way through without putting too much of the weight. I think he's the perfect voice for this. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should mention that because Rossini is a crazy guy. For this opera, which frankly is not performed very often. No. Uh, the Met did it a couple of years ago. I saw it and it was like the first time in a hundred years or something that they had done it. It may have been even been the first time ever because like it's never done. Yeah. Because it's so hard to find the singers to do it. Yeah, right? well, they're all, all three leading roles are hard. But the, this tenor role, Arnaud, it has 92 A's, 54 B flats, mm-hmm. 15 B's, 19 C's, and two C sharps. Jesus. Jesus. Why would you do that? Nobody so understands this, but that is ridiculous. That's all. Also, all, there's, all a real, there's a real tessitory issue with this, yeah. with this piece, that uh, the whole opera, because you're just having to really approach those high notes from a pretty beefy middle, which is why yeah. they're, it's often done more to spinto or whatever. Um, ugh, it's just very difficult. Very difficult it's, it's a challenge. So I think we did, I, I think we, we gave Rossini the kick in the butt that he needed, but yeah. Nicolai Gaeta, you are... Uh, Nicolai Gaeta, I love Nicolai Gaeta. You're, you're just <laughs> a phenomenal, phenomenal singer. Um, so moving on, uh, the next one we have... Uh, Coming out in 1853, an opera, it's just a great opera all around, uh, Verdi's uh, Il Trovatore, and this is uh, Asi Ben Mio into Di Quella Piera. Oh, boy. With Franco Corelli singing... Um, the King. The King. The King. The King. T- king tenor. <laughs> so, how about you give us our, our brief synopsis for this one, Matthew? The brief synopsis is, um, I love you. I love you. Oh shit, they're going to burn my mama at the stake. Right in the middle, <laughs> if, if you listen to the opera, the aria, there is an aria, he's a love song, and then a guy, his friend jumps in in the middle of the thing and says, hey, you know, Manrico, they're going to burn your mama at the stake. And he just goes, rounds into this this cabaleta uh, of just rousing the troops and sending them to war. It's the most exciting 
but the, but the aria, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful singing. The Caballetta is, is the quintessential tenor piece. It is what everybody's thinking of when they're thinking of, at least technically, singer-wise, mm-hmm. the absolute top of the, of the pile, Di Quella Pira. Um, and it's fucking difficult to sing, I gotta oh say. <laughs> yeah. uh, I never messed with that thing. I know you messed with that thing. I've messed quite and, a bit with that thing. Um, it's, it's pretty great. This is one of those pieces where you've got the chorus coming in, you've got another guy, another character, you gotta, and you've got to be on top of all of it, yeah. singing full throat, going all the way and hitting a bunch of high Cs. It's just, and it's, it's, it gets your blood boiling. I'll tell you yeah. that. So, Dan, had you heard Corelli before? Had I introduced you to him before this? What what, what do you think about him? Yeah, yeah, you mentioned him briefly on a previous episode that I'm blanking on. I I can't remember which Mm -hmm. episode you you mentioned him. Um, So I'm glad I'm glad you, you know, assigned him uh, to me for homework for this episode. Um, And, you know, I can definitely understand you know, why you've, why you brought him up before. Why we call him the king? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he feels like, you know, the the quintessential operatic tenor to me. And uh, he's got, he's got great tone and he has, you know, he displays all the kind of like vocal athleticism that you'd expect out of something like this. But um, it it just never feels like, overly dramatic or you know overly dark in his tone quality at around like a minute 50 of this recording that that we listen to uh and we will you know post links to all the recordings in the show notes by the way um is he does this decrescendo that's just like yeah awesome is so yeah. good because he just like he he punches that note and just is able to you know, just just pull it back and and sustain the note. And it's um, man, that it's it's doing a good decrescendo like that is just so hard for me. That's the hardest thing to do with your voice to like hit it and then back off it and not crack. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's and it's killer. and I think I mean, Matt, I don't know about you, but like for me, that's like one of the last things like I mean, you're always learning when, with a, a new technique, et cetera, But like that's like one of the last things that you have to master because it's so hard. I, it would kick the shit out of me. I remember in, I sang, um, I recorded a a recording of a few of these arias Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. And it wasn't this piece, but in, uh, and the one, another one we're going to cover later on, Mm Eluchevan Lestele. And it has that really famous Mm -hmm. decorcia. We'll Mm -hmm. get into that when we get to that. But just talking about this, it was the most hard thing to do. And you're right there, you know, with the microphone in front of you and the full orchestra playing mm-hmm. and to have to be able to, I don't understand how Franco Corelli could mm-hmm. do that. And he did it not just on recordings, which you can hear today. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, testimonials of him. He would do that every performance. Mm-hmm. He would do all of those decrescendos exactly the same. He had amazing command of his voice Yeah, yeah. and it was athletic. Exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. He could do everything, but he could become just caressing, you know what yeah. I mean? Mm. And velvety. And I 
got to be honest, the first time, I think he's got a bit of his voice itself, I think, is a little eccentric for most people's ears if you're just getting into opera. Because I don't remember thinking, wow, this is the most beautiful voice in the world when I first heard it. Mm -hmm. I think I had to get into and really have an understanding of what was going on with tenor singing and how difficult it was to see what he was doing. You know what I mean? Because it is, it does have that athleticism, mm -hmm. that very, you know. But the fact that he could pull it down into those just velvety tones, it is, it's, it, I just can't state how hard that is to do. Yeah. You yeah. know, and to be able to do that under pressure. And he could. And yeah. It's amazing. Well, he could. And uh, just to have the confidence to do that is, is pretty amazing. So just quick facts about Franco Corelli. One, this guy had, he's handsome as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess he is. He's like You're a right. Matt yeah. Day Idol. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So that, that, that's great. Number two, I mean, specialty was Italian rap, but he would venture into French mm -hmm. and his French sucked. Sucked. It was terrible. Sucked yeah. so bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but nobody cared. Like when he sings Faust, which is a Gounod opera. Yeah. It doesn't sound French at all, but yeah. it's fine because he just soars. I, I like to say that there's a type of French that is Italianate French. Sure. sure. If you're singing with an Italianate style voice, that sort of opera, eh. You know, you throw a few extra vowels in there to pull off the, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And you're not, you're going to, you're going to pronounce some of those consonants that you're not supposed to pronounce and, yeah. it, and it's fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> we'll give him a pass. And then the last thing, which is kind of astounding because he had, as Matthew said, like he had the confidence to do that stuff, but, oh, yeah. the, but he also had like a uh, paralyzing stage fright. Terrible stage fright. Terrible stage fright. Even for a guy that like, I, I mean, even at, at the time. I think he was like renowned around the world. Like people knew he was great then, yeah. and he was still like just terrified. I think what which speaks to how difficult all this is. Yeah, I think what was going on with him is, I and I can feel this. I felt this on too with performance. Like I never did a performance that I didn't th think I was going to completely fail it mm -hmm. before it began. You know, what I mean, you just have this sort of just, mm. and then when you get going. You kind of get going, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he found his confidence on the stage doing the performance, sure. which is why he could do, sure. you know, those amazing things by the end. But every single time, he, you know, there were all these problems just with him. There were there was his wife would sprinkle holy water on the stage. I mean, it was really <laughs> out there. That That's a true story. And uh, and he just was really stage fright and a lot of a uh, lot of anxiety, I think. And uh, you just had to get him going. Mm -hmm. And then he could he could do it, you know. Well, I'm sure our grandmother Sophie would uh, would have sprinkled holy water on the stage for <laughs> you know for me and Joe <laughs> when she went to our high school performances, if she could. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're gonna zoom ahead to uh, 1890 and uh, listen to the Mascani opera Cavalleria Rusticana. Uh, and this is by another king, uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Um, Pavarotti. Pavarotti. Um, and we're going to listen to the second tenor aria, which is, you know, this opera starts and ends with a tenor aria, which is kind of great. Um, <laughs> also, it's usually performed because it's only one act, so it's probably, how, how long has it been? Like 75, 80 minutes, maybe? Oh, not even that, I don't think. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty short. So they usually do it in tandem with another one act um, opera. Usually um, with Pagliacci. We will, um, 
I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes synopsis of where we are. So the the main character is uh, Toridu, and uh, this is what's going on. I'm about to get murdered in a duel for messing with somebody else's wife, and I have been overserved. <laughs> Mom, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and this is affectionately referred to as Mama. Mama. Because, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's just drinking wine, man. He's in, he's in a tough spot. Um, Matthew. Yes. I think you're familiar with this one. I've sung this one before. <laughs> uh, I've sung the opera before. Um, this is a this is the beginning of verismo in opera, which is sort of the idea that where old uh, operas were um, about kings and gods and you know other larger men. This is about everyday people in everyday lives, and often a bit more like a soap opera, right? This mm -hmm. is definitely a soap opera. These are um, people in Sicily. It's mob violence. It's, you know, a um, uh, guy uh, uh, sleeping with another man's wife and, and the, the knife fight that ends the whole thing in the end. Yeah. This is right before that. And I got to tell you, Pavarotti, everybody has heard of Pavarotti. You probably, you probably could recognize his voice if you've heard it, even if you don't know opera. Mm -hmm. But, but, I can't, I mean, it just cannot be described how perfect Pavarotti's voice is. It's just the most, I've used a lot of descriptions now for <laughs> beauty and everything, but I mean, it's its perfect. He doesn't have flaws. He ne You don't ever hear any flaws in Pavarotti's voice. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It just is always reliable, always perfect and beautiful. Um, I wouldn't call it the most expressive in the world, uh, he was just sort of singing. He was a very happy-go-lucky guy mm -hmm. that loved what he was doing. And if he was on stage, half the time, you know, um, something might get screwed up with the... Um, there was a notorious... He was bad at staging and different things would go wrong or he might miss a line or something. This happened mm -hmm. on stage. And he would ham it up with the audience and do little, uh, you know, ba-dum-chings to them or whatever to them and everybody <laughs> laugh. He was just... I mean... Talk about the opposite of Franco Corelli with the stage mm -hmm. fright that he couldn't, you know, get out on the stage. I think Pavarotti was meant for the stage. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's a beautiful piece for him. Um, it's indulgent. There's a lot of most people who sing this. I'll admit when I do, there's a lot of uh, sobbing and, uh, you know, at different parts. I don't think Pavarotti does a lot of that in this. Right. Not it's too a, much. It's, yeah. it's a lot cleaner the way he sings it than most people do. Um, but you know, that's, that's what this is. He's, uh, he's saying goodbye to his mom, trying to get her to calm down and he knows he's about to go fight a duel and probably get killed. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> what more do you say than that? Pretty, I mean, we've all been there, right? <laughs> it's something perfectly reasonable, perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, so Dan, I know, I know, you know, Pavarotti, but what do you think about this, uh, particular piece? Um, you know, it, it, it took me a few listens to kind of get into this one. And I think, you know, it's probably because I don't know the, you know, the context. Uh, you know, I guess I could have easily looked it up, but I was I, I guess I was more focused on the on the music. So after listening to it a few times, I started to realize that this piece actually sits really high. And because it doesn't kind of um, 
build up to like a high note mm. at the end, like some of the other things that we're, we're talking about. I didn't realize it at first. Um, but those are kind of some of the most difficult things to, to sing because I think you can, if there's one or two high notes, you can kind of like gear yourself up for it and mm. you can be more judicious about what you're doing through the rest of the song. Mm. But when it's just like up there the whole time and it's unrelenting, you know, there's really, um, you know, there's really nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You know, except it's be Pavarotti, start, you know. <laughs> it's also a start and stop, Ared. There's a lot of gear switching yeah. in the middle mm -hmm. of it. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, that because the dramatic, what's going on the stage and everything, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of moving into what, but then having to switch into another and mm -hmm. then pulling back and then having to drive forward. It's, and then to deal with your mom. And then you got to deal with your mom <laughs> on top of all that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I think what you're hearing, because the first couple that we listened to, they're very much have a, a similar structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the style in which they were composed. Once we get into Verismo, which is what Matthew was describing breaking earlier, breaking down all the, the it's, it breaks down the the, the walls of yeah. structure, and it just goes throughout, yeah. right? So you so just keep going. The drama keeps going. There's no an aria before this, like the, when we were talking about arias being the songs or whatever in a, like it's a musical theater with songs. It would be like there wouldn't be any action going forward. You're expressing a um. It's a song, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like poetry. Mm -hmm. Now the arias are driving the action as well, correct? Which is where you get the correct. start and stop and the switching gears thing, because it's a conversation on stage, mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of the uh, in the aria. So it's just everything is beginning to move now towards um, breaking down all of those structures. Sure, I guess. sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and Dan, your point about you know how it sits, and I mean that's just a credit to like. Technically, Pavarotti is probably one of the best singers that there ever was. Yeah, his, his technique. His, his passaggio, so going from his middle voice into his upper range, yeah. is seamless. You cannot hear there's any kind of switching, vowel modification. You can't hear it because it's so it's smooth. Smoothed out, yeah. And it's something you got to work on so much to be able to get what he did. I don't know how long he worked on it to do that because because he was like that when you hear him in the early recordings in the 60s. But I mean, it's it's the most remarkable thing that mm -hmm. he can just move mm -hmm. all the way through. And it, it shines mm -hmm. on a piece like this where, he, where you're moving through the passaggio so much there, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. He's just, he's a one of one. And uh, I don't think we'll ever hear anybody like him again. Yeah, I and you know, because everybody has heard him because he's you know every how many people we don't we don't have Nessun Dorm on this list mm -hmm. if you know one thing one opera aria out there it's Nessun Dorma probably and it's probably Pavarotti singing it it's almost like background music sometimes yeah, you yeah. know and if you have if you've got a chance to listen to Pavarotti and just sort of pay attention to what he's doing not just you know really really hear it you know I and you'll be here. There's a lot more to this than it makes because he's so easy because he can move through the passaggio like you were just saying and smooth all that out. He makes it seem like it's completely effortless, mm -hmm. like he's crooning through it, like like it's a pop singer, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a completely different kind of singing. This kind of singing takes a lot of skill and a lot of effort. And he's doing all of that. And if you really pay attention to what it would take to do what he does, 
Yeah. You can begin to see that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So on to our next one. We're going to zoom up to 1896, Andrea Chenier by Giordano. Uh, has not been performed from from my recollection in in a lot of places in a number of years because this role is pretty difficult. It's a long opera. The soprano role too. They're the both, so, they're, yeah. they're killers. There's it's a, duet, a voice killer, man. It's a voice killer, but there's a vo <laughs> there's a duet at the end with a are just wailing. End of the opera after everything they've done, they're just wailing away up through these Wagnerian high. It's just so it's, difficult. It's it's but when it's done right, it's it's great. So uh we chose the opera Undi. Uh, it's at the beginning of the opera, and we chose Jonas Kaufman, who is—he's uh, still singing. He's, I think, probably—and this is not, not hyperbole—he might be the only person in the world that can actually sing this right now. Well, there's people trying to, occasionally. Okay. But sing it well. Not like, yeah, not like him. <laughs> I mean, it's—he's doing it authentically, you know, and. So, Matthew, could you give us the, the Cliff Notes? <laughs> I can't with, um, everyone wants to hear about how great the country is, but no one wants to hear about how you bitch about the plight of the poor. Uh, <laughs> this whole aria is, um, he's at a party, and he's been called, the character has been called to uh, Andre Chenier. He's a poet, and everybody wants to know him, everybody wants to get to, to, um, get to know him, and everybody wants to hear him. Give him mm -hmm. some verse. Mm -hmm. And he gets called upon, and he's kind of a surly, you know, he's like, I, what are you talking You can't just turn it on and off. I don't, it's yeah. like, it's about like, like as a singer, how you might feel at a party. <laughs> Every, you go to a party, everyone wants to hear you hear, do a voice. You're like, God, it's my day off. I don't yeah. need to be dealing with this. And that's what he gave. And so, you know, they go and they give him a snarky remark. So he says, fine. Okay. And the woman of the, the woman who's throwing the party that he is quite attracted to and everything. And, he says, um, he starts off, and he's giving this just sort of um, off the cuff. This isn't like something he's prepared. He's mm -hmm. off the cuff. And he starts talking about just how it's very patriotic, you know. And then in the middle, you can hear it. You'll hear the point in the aria where it turns a little bit sour. Mm -hmm. And that's where this is in this, the setting for this opera is right before the French Revolution. So you've got a more like a radical poet at a party full of rich people. And he's talking patriotically, and suddenly he starts riffing on the poor people who are starving right outside the door. Sure, now, sure, the yeah, stain yeah. on the country it is, and it's very rude. And everybody's, uh, you know, they have yeah. a, you know, and then he gets a, a glimpse of of this woman, and he sort of cools off, has a little, you know, think, and turns it back around towards something specifically about her mm -hmm. and and his love for her. I love this aria. I mean, I've got a lot of favorite arias out there. It, it, different sorts of sure, ways yeah, of yeah, thinking, but this is that. probably the one I love the most. I don't know how I don't know how to explain it. I love the opera. Um I haven't seen it as much as other ones, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And and but I love this aria and I've heard so many different kinds of singers sing this. Yeah. I mean, Franco Corelli, we were talking about earlier, has a great, great version of this. Great version of this. And I've heard some people do it at the Met mm -hmm. um, that were doing the best they could with this. Yeah. I heard Ben Hepner. Ben Hepner was a great sort of big dramatic singer. But this is what I'm talking about. He didn't, like a lot of the people who do this role, are heavier voices. Mm -hmm. 
um, your dramatic tenors, like your Ben Hapners, mm-hmm. like your um, Placido Domingo do, does yeah, this, yeah. very baritonally, whatever. And that's going to give you some of the heft, because it's very heavy op- aria, these parts, you know? It's going to give you the heft, but the problem is the stamina. And to be able to soar through some of these high notes after you've sung these big, heavy, you know, things, on all the way up to the very end of the opera where you've got to sing this soaring duet that's just going up to these highs, nobody's been able to do this great. Right. And and Jonas Kaufman nails it. He just nails it. It's a beautiful voice. It's Germanic. Yeah. It's not necessarily my favorite style in the world, but he's got this gift, kind of like... James King. James King's another singer from from way back. Could have been on one of my uh, uh, honorable mentions or whatever. Um, It has this quality of being very Germanic and all that stuff, but being able to really, to really peel into the Italian rep to cross both those, put a foot in both camps. You know what I mean? Um, And I don't know how to explain this. German rep is very, is much more... It can be more powerful. It can be more, but it's more regimented, right? It's more, mm-hmm. it's less expressive, yeah, and more formal. Right. And Italian rep is more expressive and less formal. Yeah. There's a lot of rubato. You've got to do things with the rhythm. Rubato means you s- slow or speed up. Um, based on the moment. Based on the moment and out of the meter. Well, in meter, but how do I explain this? In the middle of a measure. You're doing something that's not what's written on the page, and you're going to make it up before the end of the bar. Right. You're usually following the rhythm of the language, and then yes. you can slow down and then make it up. Slow a- down afterwards. and make it up afterwards by so speeding you're still up. So in time. It's kind. Of, it's kind. Of, it's phrasing, right? right? We call this phrasing. You got to be able to. By the end of the bar, you got to be the same place the orchestra is. <laughs> but getting there, you've got a little more liberty with the whatever, and yeah. that's very indicative of Italian yeah, yeah. music. And it's not at all indicative of German no, music. And he can do it, and that's kind of rare. It is. Rare. You know, it's kind of rare. rare. Um, even like Nicolai Gaeta, we were talking about. Or I love his voice. Mm, not. Not quite. There, not quite the same sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jonas Kaufman can do it. I love it. Yeah, I love what he can do. It's it's uh, it's got some of that baritonal quality to it. It's uh, it's got that strength, but also um, it's got a, a certain lightness to it. Sometimes, in fact, I don't. I don't think it's this aria, but I've heard a couple of things of his lately where I thought it was a little too much, cro- mm-hmm. too much croon he put on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I mean, Jonas Kaufman, he's I think he's one of the greatest singers that's singing right now. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he, he has a lot of tools in his toolkit. And um, I hadn't heard him sing this because I was originally thinking of the Corelli recording that we yeah. love so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I mean, he just does everything. He, he does gives, everything right here. He gives Corelli a run for his money. Yeah. And that is really, mm-hmm. that's a high bar. You know what I mean? Dan, I don't think you knew who Jonas Coffin was, did you? Oh, no, not at all. All right. So it's our job on this show to split hairs, I guess. Um, And I feel dumb for like letting any criticism against these people. I'm basically speaking from from personal preference. Um, But I I think because of, you know, some of the things that Matthew was talking about, like that, you know, that sort of baritone uh, type quality to 
to his voice. It wasn't my favorite to to just listen to for fun, mm-hmm. I, I guess. But um, you know, the, can I ask you a question point, on that, Dan? Just specifically yeah, go ahead. on that. Would yeah. you say? Would you say that it's because it doesn't meet your kind of expectations for what a tenor voice is? We're talking about tenor voices this episode, right? Is this yeah. not what you think of when you think of tenor singing? Good question. Um, <laughs> after a long pause there. Let's um, put you on the spot. <laughs> I, th- I, think you, I think you may be right. Because... I don't know why, but the things that I, you know, that I gravitate toward, whether it's this or, you know, other types of music that I'm listening to, um, I've noticed that, that I like singers that have more of like a forward kind of, kind of tone. So, um, yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, so so it doesn't, you, you know, so it does, you know, kind of um, mess with my expectations a little bit. Um, that said, I would go see this guy sing anything. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. I, if if you I'm thought here. he was, if we called him a baritone, do you think it would change your your view on him at all? If we that's, said he was a baritone, and did, it didn't matter what record he was singing, whatever. That's kind of. Hmm. I don't know if I can really say. Um, and certainly within within opera music, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I could not name one single operatic baritone. Um, I mean, I kind I mean, I kind of have an Sounds idea like a of like. Episode. No, I was just gonna <laughs> say we could do baritone. Why we love baritones? I have a good yeah. baritone joke for that episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, it, it might because it would because it would change my expectations about, you know, what I was what I was expecting uh, to hear. Um, mm. But I want to reiterate, you know, if you were like, hey, I got an extra ticket to go uh, see see, um, you know, Kaufman in an, in in an opera someplace, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be there. I mean, the guy is you know, obviously ha- has a great voice and, um, uh, and, and doing this type type of piece is, is not easy because it's, it's exposition, right? Like it's, um, and it's, um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're basically like going through this, um, you know, explanation of what's, you know, what's going on and it's a, and it's a conversation. It's not, I, I think something like this would be like difficult to commit to memory, to be quite honest. Which is oh boy, yeah. which oh, is something that I think is not talked like about to, enough. To, yeah, um, yeah it's, you could do a whole episode of what it's like to memorize these things. Yeah. I right, mean, the, exactly. The, well, to, another like little secret, and then I think we put a pin on this one is that you know they do have people. Their entire job is to sit either in the wings or <laughs> in the pit. And they literally yes. like, Dan, yes. your next line is going to be, I'm oh. going to the store, yeah. and I'm going to get some Doritos. There's a Go. whole technique to being able to Because they say it be prompted. loud enough so you can hear it, but not loud enough that the audience can hear These it. These are called prompters, prompters for the audience. And there's a whole technique of being, you know, when you're being prompted, they're giving you the lines. Uh, 
you don't get this a lot. You get this a lot with some of the older singers because this was an old tradition. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. Do it. And you've got people like Placido Domingo or Pavarotti mm-hmm. or, you know, some of these people who sing just or sang, you know, every three different operas a week, you know, mm-hmm. in three different cities. There's just a whirlwind going on. They need they, they don't know whether they're what they're doing. You got to have somebody prompting them just to give them the lines because there's just so many operas they've got to go through. And they're literally giving you the lines like five beats in advance. Yeah, right. And you've got to be singing the previous one and listening to what's coming up in order to, it's a whole, that's a whole. It's a whole skill. That's a whole skill in of itself. I I just want, before we leave this, I I want to just put a pin in the fact that we've both used the the term baritonal. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, goes well for Jonas Kaufman's voice. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what maybe what what Dan's hearing or what he it was is expecting to hear that maybe this isn't quite what he was um it wasn't as pleasing to maybe to your ears as some of the other ones is that quality that baritonal it's something a little bit it's different heavier you yeah. know what i mean it's, it's different, a different way of saying and um and maybe it's not what maybe it's something you got to um come to after you've gotten into some other things i think sure, you know sure. it's not the first whatever i think you're right i think this guy's one of the best singers out there today i certainly don't think there's anybody that can sing this role like he does now um and and that's part of it is that different roles call for different types of voices mm-hmm. and he can do this he's mm-hmm. he's got both the agility and that those those Sort of well, big, and, I mean, beefy he middle sings, age. He sings Wagner, so he surely has he stamina does. too. So. And that this is almost Wagnerian by yeah. the end of it. Yeah. You know, the way you gotta, the way you gotta stretch through some of those phrases in that tessitura in the last duet. Ooh. Yeah. So he's great. I saw him a couple of years ago live, and he totally lives up to the expectation. And if you ever have a chance, go see him because I don't know. I mean, he's getting older, so I don't know how much more he's gonna be singing, but he's great. Um, so on to our. Fifth and final. Uh, My favorite opera. This is Matthew's favorite <laughs> opera. Uh, composed in the year of our Lord, 1900. So, so <laughs> I mean, probably unlikely, but it is possible that somebody's great-great-great-great-grandparent saw the premiere of all these operas because we're only spanning 70 years, right? Yeah. We started at 1829 and we're at 1900. There's a big golden age there, uh, right? Just like some phenomenal music composed. Uh, this is Puccini's Tosca. This is the Act 3, right? Act 3, right? Yeah. Yes. Right at the end of the opera. E Luceva le Stelle. E Luceva le Stelle. Uh, Matthew, do you have the... I do. The brief synopsis I have a brief this? synopsis for this. It is, the stars are pretty. Eight love grand. Fuck, I'm dead. Yeah. Because... <laughs> now, look. This is... What do we call this? This is a melodrama. And I gotta say, if you've never w- watched an opera live before, this is really the one to do. This, this one on La Boheme. Love it. Yeah. Love it. But don't read the synopsis ahead of time. In fact, don't read the synopsis ahead of time on any of these operas. It sounds ridiculous. Just pay attention. They're just ridiculous. It's the most melodramatic, you know, laugh out loud nonsense if to, if you take it out of context. What really, <laughs> what really makes these things work as staged productions when you see them, is the combination of these absurd stories with this beautiful music, dramatic and everything, and it it makes 
the whole something more than just a literary work or whatever. You know what I mean? Because it's not the none of this is going to be judged well just on the on the lyric on the um the literary style or whatever. You know what I mean? This is a melodrama. There would there would have been a play of this of any of these. Uh, some of them, some operas are based on Shakespeare, or whatever that are really based on something great. Okay, mm. but a lot of these are based on some play that was, uh, you know, biggest sensational thing at a time before people had television, and all they're really doing is going and watching reality TV in the theater. You know, yeah. it, this is Desperate Housewives or like <laughs> Guiding Light, and it, this creates <laughs> Guiding Light. This is this is General Hospital. It goes off the rails, um, you know, and by the end of it, you've got. Uh, this guy, Mario Cavarossi, and he's in love with Tosca. And you've got the, the uh, I don't, what do you call him, the governor of Rome. It takes place in Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, the governor of Rome who's trying to kill uh, Cavarossi, get him out of the way in order to, or, uh, you know, he wants to, to, he's fallen in love with. It, it's all over the place. There's a huge revolution. Napoleon is coming through to, to uh, <laughs> wipe away the old ways and start the new whatever good luck with that and uh <laughs> it, everything fall the whole government's gonna fall and everything's like well let's just get in one last you know fuck before the before everything ends and everything goes wrong and tosca kills the governor it's mm -hmm. just all over the place but the governor has already secretly even though he's promised this is making no sense but this is the nature <laughs> of this, this opera even though he's promised to uh save Tosca's love, Mario Cavadrosi. He's um, a liar. And he's a, a liar. He's already signed his execution. And no sooner has Tosca secured his supposed release with a mm -hmm. paper signed than she kills him. And then she goes to try to free Mario, and Mario sings this aria, the last, you know, thing he's going to see in the Castel Sant'Angelo, which is a real place in Rome, you know, this is the big round um, castle there, mm -hmm. right next to the Vatican. He's, it was a jail, he's there, he's looking up at the, you know, over the, 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 the walls of the jail, at the beautiful stars, and just, the stars are shining, you know, brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And then he's talking about how much in love with Tosca he is, and that this is the end. And she comes and tells him that it's going to be, they're going to run a fake execution, but he Doesn't knows it's not going to be that way. He knows this is the end, and they execute him, and then she jumps off the walls. It's, everybody dies. Everybody then, dies. <laughs> that's Shocking, how this right? Goes. Shocking. This um, is my favorite opera, and it's not based on the story. <laughs> you know, it's based on the music, and if you've got a great per, great set of performers doing it, it doesn't matter. Um it's gonna make you cry anyway, you know. Um, these are, and and this is one of the best arias in all of opera. I think. I, you know? I agree. I agree. And I, I failed to mention. So the singer that we chose for this one is uh, Carlo Bergonzi, and he mm. is probably he he's basically contemporary of Franco Corelli, really in his heyday in the '60s and yeah. '70s. And I mean, really, a credit to his technique too, because he sang well into his late years. He was still doing master classes, singing beautifully. Carlo Bergonzi in 1997 or nine, seven or eight, mm -hmm. or was it later than that? Was it 2000? He sang what he sang, almost sang. I, he didn't actually do it, 
but he was going to do an Otello at Carnegie Hall. Do you remember this? I Have do. you heard about I this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a whole hobolo about this, that he's going to come out of retirement and sing an Otello, which is a very low role for him, but I guess he was older, you know, mm-hmm. and a big role, you know, and um, I, it didn't quite work out. He, 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 um, he pulled out of the engagement as in, and the understudy had to sing it, but um, he was like 80 yeah. something. Yeah, he was very old. It but... was very, and he was plausibly going to be able to do mm. this, you know, and um, Bergonzi, Bergonzi's voice is expressive and beautiful. It's not big. No. It's not forceful. No. And it's and not always the most, um, I don't know, what, what's the word I would use? Stable? Mm-hmm. It's not always, you can be, a, it can be a little scary hearing him getting towards these high notes, you know? He doesn't have Pavarotti's absolute, he's smooth. He's definitely smooth through the passaggio. He doesn't have Pavarotti's mastery of the high notes. But he's got this tone that is just... It's gorgeous. It's just bewitching. It's just gorgeous. And he's got an expressiveness. All of these for all of mm. these phrases, everything he sings, where Pavarotti is technically flawless mm-hmm. and beautiful, he's not as expressive, yes, right? Yes. It's too clean sometimes. Yeah, and Carlo Bergonzi is optimally expressive you can really feel a lot of emotion coming through every single phrase he he brings out of it even if when he gets to the high notes it's not you're a little bit like mm, you know it doesn't it's always fine it's not offensive in any way but no. it's not as exciting as some of the other folks we've listened to dan yeah. did you like this guy or no because he's yeah. kind of like in the middle of i don't know what, yeah, what, I, what were your thoughts i i did like him and you know People are going to think this is rigged, but I'll show you on the on my paper here yeah. through the Skype camera. Well, it's backwards, but whatever. It I wrote, you know, he he has an emotional quality to his voice yes. that that I like, and um, I I think he he sings this piece really well. Um, there's kind of like this um, uh, rising and receding dynamic through the whole. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah. And I like how his voice is working with his with the string section to achieve that. And now knowing, you know, what uh, Tosca is about, which is, you know, which is an opera that I've heard of. And uh, <laughs> Dan, and, you got to uh, see it live. You got to see it live. This I is would love to go see. I, I would love to. Um, but like knowing, you know, knowing that, uh, knowing about the melodrama um, and then you know, hearing him sing this and like kind of just the, um, just the, just the piece as a whole, it, 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 it makes a lot of sense. And it's very, even though I don't speak Italian and I don't know what he's saying, it yeah. all feels very relatable somehow. You can feel he's communicative, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can really yeah, yeah. get the, at least the emotional core of mm-hmm. what's going on here. In from his voice and the way he does this better than probably better than anybody else anybody else we've listened to today I think mm-hmm. and 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 better than just about anybody else any other tenor out there you know yeah, yeah. but I do have um, a quick question about this if I may yeah, yeah please. um the the opening maybe like, I don't know thirty seconds or so of this I'm like I know I've heard this before and I can't place where exactly I mean obviously Tosca is very Famous opera, 
you know, I'm like, there's some. Did that was this like was this in the Godfather? Like, I don't know. No, where, it's was not this the Godfather, in some but film. I, there is a movie, I'm pretty sure, or, or two. It's a very famous. The opening of the star is a very famous piece of music. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that does pop up in a movie score. You're talking about of. the the oboe solo at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure it's used in other. Well, also like. What's great about a lot of this opera music is that it's all public domain, so nobody has to pay for. It. Like they have to pay some rights for it, but like uh, it's like for recordings if they use it, but like they don't have to pay the singer. Like the, they don't have to pay Puccini's uh, grand great 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 grandkids to use this, you know. Right. Um, this but, is the. This is the. Um... This has got that decrescendo, by the way, we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That amazing, mm. famous decrescendo, which I got most tenors just can't handle. Um, and it's just a. It's and Bergonzi does it just beautifully. Yeah, and, I Bergonzi mean, again, this is another. Corelli does a fantastic Tosca. There's, yeah. you know, that that's probably my my favorite recording is the Nielsen Corelli one. It's a great, yeah, that's a great recording. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know because I think I, I agree with all all that's been said about Bergonzi, but I do think there are some dis- detractors because he doesn't have sort of the show stopping power that some of these other folks we've talked about. But um, man, it would have been great to see him do this. Well, as a young tenor, I got to say, he wasn't the first tenor I came to, or mm-hmm. you know, what it, it, the singers are all sort of. Um, obsessed with the size of their voices, right? That's the sort of anxiety always that you've got to have this powerful voice because you've got a full orchestra you've got to sing over. There's no microphone. There's no whatever, you know, it's got to carry. Yeah. And um, Bergonzi's not quite, is not that. It's not the biggest, you know. So, you know, as a young tenor, I was, you know, found my way to the first Carreras and Corelli, all the bigger voices. But, when I was really working about um, about beauty in my voice, he was the one I was listening to all the yeah, time, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And my uh, mentor of mine, you know, and my man mm-hmm. named Michael Cordovana said when I was obsessing about mm-hmm. the size, I never had the the biggest voice out there either, you know. I was a lyric tenor that mm-hmm. up that had ambitions to go into to do a lot of the sort of heavier rep. I liked a lot of that stuff. It felt more comfortable than the really light stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would worry about, but see, I'm going to go do, you know, Tales of Hoffman or whatever, and my voice isn't going to be as big as some of these people. And, and and Mike used to tell me, if it's beautiful enough, it's big enough. And I think that really, mm-hmm. that's the thing for about Bergonzi. Yeah. It's beautiful enough. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. that it's not the most, you know, yeah. biggest voice in the world. Well, and, and and I think Matthew really summed up this entire exploration because yes, there's fireworks, there's dynamic singing, there's you know all all these other things, but at the end of the day, all these people have just beautiful beautiful voices, voices are are the most important and, thing. Yeah, and if you have that, doesn't really and a lot of this other stuff just doesn't really matter. Yeah, and Bergonzi was right there with it. Yeah. So Dan, any final thoughts from you? Well, just kind of a, a a general comment is it's interesting to see um, 
you know, how every, how all of them kind of, you know, approach this craft differently. Mm -hmm. And I think because of, you know, my propensity to listen to, you know, rock music, indie music, pop music, there's no, there's no kind of formal template. I mean, there is, I mean, there is and there isn't, right? Right, right, uh, right. It kind of goes by what's popular, but nobody kind of writes it down or teaches it, right? Mm -hmm. But in but in in classical music, there's a there's a certain standard, I guess, that everyone is trying to achieve. There's an ideal, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's interesting to see how different singers kind of work work within that framework and kind of achieve this um this this individuality as well so that's an interesting uh balance i i i think to to think about and i'm glad that i know of of, of more singers at least a few you know mm -hmm. uh that i can you know that I can uh, listen to if I'm if I'm in the mood because I really do enjoy this stuff. I just don't know, uh, you know, much about it. That's all. Yeah. Well, I think what what your what your comment is is really getting at, and and I think I can sum this up in one, you know, dis succinct example. It's like people have been listening to Tosca for 120 years. Yeah. And the reason why is because it's always different and new depending on who is in those roles and who is designing the production and it's still one of the most popular operas out there mm -hmm. and it's because there is as you said a certain standard as friendly well talk no, what is it a b a c it might be a c uh the high notes yeah no, it doesn't get to a c it's a b yeah. i think it's a b so yeah. like if you can't sing a high b you can't sing cover Rodossi. You yeah. just can't do it. No. Like, not permitted. You're not getting into the club, man. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's cool if you want to sing it in your garage, but you're not going to sing it on a stage anywhere, right? right? So there are certain standards, but within that standard, it can go in 8 million different directions. Because, frankly, many of the singers that we listen to today have sung this role. Oh, yeah. I think all of them. I all of think. them, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Tosca's, like, the, one of the big top operas you're everywhere Gata, yeah he Gata probably, definitely definitely saying, yeah. didn't so um, so it's it's that's what that's why people love this art form yeah there are any look voices are different there's variety right um the the point to the technique the kind of singing that people are learning when they learn this is not about mimicking one type of style or whatever it's about unleashing the full potential of what your voice can do. I mean, resonantly, you know, how mm -hmm. big it can get, how, how well it can carry. That's why it sounds the way it does. People aren't learning to sing like that because they're, they're, they're matching a style that's been there for, you know, 200 years or whatever in this mm -hmm. art form. They're doing it because you got to go stand up on a big stage in front of thousands of people in an audience, and there's going to be an orchestra Mm -hmm. creating a wall of sound right in front of you and the, the song, the music has to carry and you've got to be expressive and you've got to act. Mm -hmm. It's musical theater. You know what I mean? Uh, you're the lines you're giving mean something and other people are 
responding and you're moving around on the stage and everything. And this is what you have to do to for your voice to be able to do those things. And within those, you know, that sort of confine, there's still a lot of room for individual style and for different types of voices, you know, to be brought to their optimum to be able mm -hmm. to do these things. And there's a lot of different types of things you can, this is why people go and like you were saying, see Tosca there, it's still being done. Uh, the other thing that's true about that is you're going to, if you become a fan of opera, love it. Like we do. I've seen Tosca a million times. I've sung it a bunch of times, mm -hmm. you know, um, any of these operas I, I've seen or heard various people and there's something new every time. There's something new. Every singer is bringing to it, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and that's what, is really amazing about this art form, how much variety you can get from one piece of music, really, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think we've done it. Uh, we've done it more than we've ever done it before, which is great. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're excited about talking about it. So uh, thank you for indulging us. I hope you learned something. I hope that you go explore some of these things that we put together. Um, Dan, do you know what's happening next time or is this a secret surprise? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it a secret, but I am, my next pick, I'm, I'm kind of uh, trying to decide. I've got, a, I've got a couple in mind. So I'd encourage all of our listeners to, you know, make sure that you're following us on Instagram to see what's next. Check and, the gram, um, man. Check the gram. Uh, thanks, Matthew, for for coming on the show. Um, thanks for having been me. Super fun. Um, yeah, well, and uh, I think we would uh, gladly have you on uh, another another episode. You know, we don't want to break up the family. Um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it would be against the law at this point, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's bi it's binding. It's legal. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all on the next one. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself.